Hello, I'm Nico Rosberg and you're listening to Beyond the Grid. Hi all, it's TC here with another episode of Beyond the Grid presented by Bose QuietComfort 35.2 wireless headphones. My guest this week is the only man to have beaten Lewis Hamilton to the world title in the last five years. In so doing, he replicated the world championship triumph of his father 34 years earlier, but the champagne had barely had time to dry before he announced his retirement. Do you remember all that? I'm talking, of course, about the 2016 world champion Nico Rosberg. We've known each other for many years. In fact, I saw virtually every single-seater race he ever drove. So it was great to sit down with him in London recently to reflect on his career, find out what he's doing now, and ask him the big question, whether he has any regrets about walking away. And if you want the inside line on his battles with Hamilton, stay tuned. He offered some fascinating insight into what it was like to go head-to-head with Lewis. Nico was in fine fettle when we caught up. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Well, Nico, welcome to Beyond the Grid. It's been two years, almost, since you retired from Formula One. How's, how's real life treating you? Uh, thank you for having me on Beyond the Grid. And dear listener, thank you for tuning in. And no, life is very, very good. I'm very, very happy and good place. Exciting times for me. Now, we'll come on to what, what you're doing. But just from a Formula One point of view, I think a lot of people want to know, do you miss it? Do you miss the driving? What do you miss about being a Formula One driver? Well, in general, I don't miss it because I have no regrets or anything. If there is one thing, then it's the winning because it's the competition, beating the competition, winning those absolutely incredible emotional moments. Yeah, it's so powerful. And then sharing that with friends, family, all my supporters around the world. That's just, uh, I mean, really unbelievable. So you don't miss the thrill of driving? Um driving less so it was always a lot about the competition for me yeah and that that's where i got the biggest thrill pole at monaco exactly <laughs> the adrenaline of of a pole out around there does that not still do you not look back and go god that was amazing it was of course no, it was it was really um wonderful times but i don't look back now and think uh, oh, i wish i was there again no for me it's really a thing of the past because Nico, the thing is, you're a long time retired, aren't you? And you're, you're 33 now. And the jacket's getting stor- old. Huh? How old are you? I've got 10 years on you, fella. 10 years. You can, can guess I, which way. <laughs> dear, dear listener, can I just say, please, that your host on this Beyond the Grid is an absolute paddock legend, yeah? Thomas, All right, a on. phenomenal uh, journalist from, from so many years now in Formula One. What you, right? We did actually work together one, back in the day. I remember meeting you back in 2001 and we did a bit together when you were in Formula BMW, didn't we? So it's yeah. an amazing journey, actually. I've seen literally every single race you've ever done in, in the single seaters. Did you think I was going to make it this far? Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't think you'd retire. <laughs> I didn't think you'd retire. <laughs> Nico, I didn't think you'd retire. And in fact, I was hosting that press conference in Vienna when you... When you, when you did it? Oh, really? Retire. Sorry, my mind was... You did actually throw us all. <laughs> you threw the whole... Uh, yeah, <laughs> I wasn't too present. Call. It was a bit all extreme, so I didn't it, notice. But see, here's the thing. You're 33, and Jackie Stewart would tell, would tell you that you would be at the height of your powers now as a racing driver because you've got experience, you've still got youth and reaction and all that kind of thing. I mean, you could be sitting here now. You could, you could be a double world champion, not just single world champion. Um, do, you yeah, ever, do you ever dwell have, on that? Do you have, dwell on that? Could have, no, I don't. No, not at all. And for me, I am 100% sure that I was at the height of my powers in 2016. 
and that's how I'm going away from this, always thinking that, and I'm very sure of that. But I would argue that you were better in 16 than you were in 15, and you were better in 15 than you were in 14, and that's shown actually by you winning more races with every year. Yeah. So who's to say that you wouldn't have been even better in 17? Me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should know. I just think there are a lot of Nico Rosberg fans out there who, who would be thinking these thoughts, and I'm sure yeah. you thought about them prior to making the announcement of or? course yeah and i'm so thankful as well to all of you who were supporting me in in those times and and really felt sorry as well that it was coming to an end abruptly like that right in the best moment from that perspective yeah so those were some of the aspects that were very tough um to deal with but not only all of you who were or you who were maybe supporting me but also the team yeah the, and, and these these factors uh, my father, who was like the number one, <laughs> number one fan, yeah, all of course, uh, yeah. a bit letting down those those kind of people in that in that sense. That was one of the very maybe the most tough side actually. And of course, if you hadn't won the title in sixteen, you were going to go. You would see. You would have gone again be, in seventeen, wouldn't you? Maybe I would be about to become double world champion yeah. now. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But isn't it? But you did say that, didn't you? How if it's you true. hadn't won yeah, it? That's true. I'm, I want to reflect on your whole career, but that grid in Abu Dhabi, last race of 2016. <laughs> There must have been, I know there were actually, a lot of emotions going through your head, weren't they? My goodness. How vividly can you remember all that? And the most amazing thing, the thing that finally gave me clarity was the realization, hey, this might actually be your last ever race in this life. And that suddenly, it like flipped and I was like, present. And I think, because I, I thought to myself, okay, take it in now, could be the last one. When so, did that thought hit you then? On the grid. On the grid in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, 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 on the grid. Um, yeah, just arriving arriving to the grid and jumping out whilst the mechanics then do the last preparations and then you finally get in to do the race start. Yeah. So of all the meditation practices that I did, preparing for that, <laughs> nothing worked. <laughs> nothing worked except for that thought. Joe, interesting. I was listening to a talk by Chris Hoy, the cyclist, gold mm gold medal winning cyclist only yesterday and he was saying you should focus on the process and not the end result and i of guess of course that's the and that, that race was part of the process for you wasn't it um well look the career as a whole you've got these two years to sort of that have given you the benefit of hindsight how do you reflect on it all now that's why it really adds happiness to even the rest of my life yeah because i'm so satisfied with my career and that's that's where i'm very lucky because I can honestly think that way now and that gives me a lot for, for my life for I think a long long time because it's still carrying me now even two years afterwards If you had your time again would you do anything differently? No I just recently spoke to Bernie about that in my podcast actually and also Bernie he said no because there's no regrets and all the mistakes were good actually because they, they um, helped me get to where I was in the end and therefore, also in my case, I wouldn't change anything at all. No, even the tough, tough moments in hindsight, great that they were there. I mean, OK, let's take individual cases. Singapore 2009, when you crossed the line at the exit of the pit lane, you'd do that differently, wouldn't you? <laughs> no, I wouldn't because I'm just so happy. So why would I do something differently? Oh, you got so that. happy with the end result. and I don't want anything more than that. OK. So therefore, we... no, it's all good. Those individual moments of disappointment yeah. help build, get you to where you were going. Yeah. Man, were they dark moments, though. 
Which ones? Oh, all of those. <laughs> well, look, let's, let's so look into them. You no, had we're not going to go into well, no, them now. Nico, well, you had three race-winning teammates, mm. okay? Um, Weber, Schumacher, Hamilton. Mm -hmm. Can you just compare and contrast? Talk about Weber, first of all. That was the first year. You're, you're a rookie at Williams. Didn't have much reliability with that car. Um, what did you learn off Weber? Do you feel he learned anything off you? So with Mark, um, again, I have a lot of respect and we get on well, yeah, and always did. But it was my first year, so I was really nowhere compared to where I was in the end of my career. And, and Mark was really going well already at the time. And his attitude was quite strong. He's always very level-headed and big, quite good positioning in the team as well. So um, I don't know. And it was such a mess on that year. So I can't really judge uh, Mark at all. Except that I, it was I had a mess some, from a reliability point. Yeah, of view, yeah, the right? whole yeah. reliability. Yeah, and that for a youngster coming in, then it just makes it so tough because you can never find a rhythm because it's just all over the place. Yeah, and that's why I often feel for other guys coming in, like you can see a uh, Stoffel Van Dorn who came into McLaren last year in such a disastrous situation with Hondas blowing up all the time. You can never get a foothold. Yeah, and you're up against a great driver. Um, that's uh, so there I really have empathy then in those situations because I know how hard it was because um, I was in that myself okay so then you then go to Mercedes in, in 2010 and you actually yeah. commit to the team before Mercedes committed yes because I knew it was going to happen <laughs> oh you knew it okay, well yeah of course because I think Ross Mercedes only bought it in November or something and yeah, you committed yeah. earlier didn't you yeah. well I know it was going to happen yeah. it was like a done deal almost so yeah. that's why I committed yeah and and then Mercedes came, and little did I know that suddenly the best of all time will be my teammates. So that when was, you signed, you didn't know that Michael Of course was not. Coming. That was not even on the horizon. But I don't think even for Ross it was on the horizon. Nobody had that in mind somehow. It just came completely out of the blue. And there we go. So that was a bit of a shock at first. Yeah. Well, did Michael live up to expectations? Um, well, no, he didn't. Because uh, I had not even won a race at the time. He was the best of all time. And therefore, it's like first, it's really questioning, how am I gonna how am I gonna fare against him? He's he's so damn amazingly good. Am I gonna be able to uh, be close to him? Am I gonna be able to beat him? Sometimes, that's really the thinking that was going on. It was just difficult to judge. He's my childhood guy, you know, where I'm watching and just larger than life. Yeah, he's, he's just phenomenal. And therefore, um, he was a little bit um, beyond his peak, of course. Yeah, and so he had very, very strong peak performances. He even did pole position in Monaco. We need to remember that in 2012, in the last year. So he had very, very strong moments, but where it showed that he wasn't at his best anymore was a little bit in the consistency, which was just a little bit off to uh, to probably where he used to be. I was think. he a generous teammate in terms of what generous? he Generous? Yeah. No. Did he give you lots of presents? No, no. Michael is not, not really But I mean, did he share data with you and things like that? Actually, if I, I need to be careful when I say he's not generous because he is to everybody else around him and to his team, very much so, which is something I really learned from him. But when it comes to his competition, I was his competition or his teammate, then generosity, especially when you're beating him, I think it ends very much <laughs> and he becomes quite a warrior. Did he share data? Mm, well, it was everything was open, so he had to, he had to share. But um, yeah, mind games, he did quite enjoy them. <laughs> How amazing, even at that, that phase of his career. Oh he yeah, but it, he doesn't need to think about it. It just comes nat naturally to him. He is a warrior. And it, it's just, he doesn't have to put energy in, oh, I need to do some mind games. It's just the way he is. <laughs> no, but what really? was interesting, from a media point of view, he was, I felt much more relaxed 
those three years than he was back in the Ferrari days. And, but he wasn't like that with his teammates, clearly. No. Oh, I don't know. I have no comparison. And okay, yeah, he was quite relaxed in the team as well, but he was still a warrior all the time from morning to evening. <laughs> How interesting. Well, look, then he retires at the end of 12 yeah. and Lewis joins the team. Very important that I beat him, of course, yeah? That you was beat Mike. Ma massively decisive for my career because that meant that he retired and I stayed on the team. What, had it been the other way around, he might have stayed on? Surely, yeah, surely. He would have stayed and I would have been out. Well, you, you beat him convincingly, didn't you? And then, yep. of course, Lewis comes. Did you have the power of veto? Did the team ask you whether you wanted Lewis to join or was it, this is a done deal, he's coming? No, not at all. I had nothing to do with it and maybe they asked me, but anyways, uh, it's fine. Yeah, he's a great driver and if they have the opportunity to take him, they, they had to take him. An amazing job by Mercedes as well at the time, yeah, to manage to take him from McLaren was very, very strong effort because he was, uh, McLaren in that year was one of the best cars. And we were nowhere. I mean, we were so disastrously bad. And for Lewis to make that decision also, quite remarkable, really. I don't know. I, I'm sure there's a lot of luck involved in that one as well, not just uh, calculation. Well, it's interesting because Jensen says there was a lot of luck involved. But Lewis will tell you, of course, that he could see yeah, come on. the writing on the wall. Not even I could see it. I was in Team Mercedes. Yeah, How, who, how can he see it then? Maybe there's he no... was thinking of 14 onwards with the new engine regulations. How can you know even that? Come on. Well, um, yeah. no, you, no, you can't know. So he went on his instincts and made a phenomenal choice, yeah. which has given him many, many world championships since. Now, you did a lot of karting against Lewis. I think it was 2000 in particular, wasn't it? Was he the same beast in Formula One that he'd been in karting? Yeah, very much the same. Yeah, same, same speed, same, just as difficult to beat in go-karting as it was in F1. Yeah. There were some different aspects that came into it then in F1, which I didn't know so much from karting, like his um, his strength as well in the media and and team internally. Yeah, he's quite uh, instinctively strong in in then in argumenting and in these things. Um, so these are, these were some new aspects that I, we didn't come across in go karting because it's just it's much simpler world. And were you the same beast? Um, I I'm not sure. I think um, I think not. No, I think I've, I've become stronger in F1, more difficult to beat because I just added so much more. Because F1, uh, karting is just about the pure driving. And in F1, you can add so much more to it. You can do so much. You can add so much performance with, with dedication, um, approach, yeah, uh, marginal gains. And I think that's why I really did manage to become stronger. Tell me about some of the marginal gains. I, I, I did hear a story, tell me if it's true, that you gave up cycling in 2016 because you wanted to lose another kilo or something and you wanted to get the muscle off your legs. Is, is that true? This is really a true story, yeah. Because we were so on the edge with everything and weight was, we were overweight with the car, so our body weight really mattered. And it came to the long summer break and you can't go on a diet in the middle of the season. It just destroys you mentally. Okay just it kills you yeah and it's so important to have a to play the long game mentally in a season like that so you i couldn't afford to go on diet uh, and so the only solution was i thought of it myself just let's lose some leg muscles so i did stop uh, stop cycling and then after the summer break we went to uh, suzuka and i was on pole by two hundredths of a second and one kilo of the leg muscles which i lost is worth three hundredths of a second per lap and you won the grand prix from pole, and i won the race yeah. and that really um 
messed uh, Lewis's head a little bit on that weekend there. And so this was a really decisive step towards the championship. Wow. What a great story. And are there other, go on, is there anything else you can share with us about your marginal gains? I think that's, that's fascinating in terms of, is there anything else you could do within the team? Another big one from, from that year was really the gloves, yeah? Because uh, I worked on my gloves to remove any kinds of seams or, or any kind of patches that were between my finger and the clutch paddle to really get the, the best possible feel and make it as thin as possible. And that really, uh, really helped me as well because uh, going away from that, the way the standard Puma glove was done to making it uh, custom made just for myself in the way the clutch finger, just the finger, yeah, is, uh, is modeled. That was um, a huge help for me. And I had a string of like four or five races where I, I nailed the starts. And then Lewis like, was wondering like, what the hell is going on? Why is he doing starts so much so well? And then he, he took over that, uh, that glove design as well. Um, so that was another another thing that was, yeah, very helpful. As a driver, particularly in 16, did you think about Formula One 24-7? Yeah. It's Impossible total, to switch off. Yeah, which sometimes is not good. But it's total life dedication. And that doesn't mean working on it every single day, all day long. It means finding the perfect balance in life. Yeah, because... I have learned that better life equals better performance. And this is actually one of the slogans from our late uh, Formula One doctor, Aki Hinsa, which is really something that he was always preaching. And I've really learned to, to understand that. And that's what I really focused on in, in my championship winning year then in 2016, to get the balance absolutely perfect in life. So really work hard and sometimes, but make sure that you have the time to recover mentally as well with the family, friends, taking it easy, just chilling out, all these things. And I, I really got it so well nailed for that last year. Um, take, we even got the Harvard sleep doctor who came in uh, to, to help us with jet lag. So even... Oh, go on, give jet, me a clue. Give me a even, clue. We've got well, these the problem is it takes so much discipline because you have to, like... Why are you when, laughing? When, you think well, I you're not going to do it anyways. <laughs> it, you have to start five days before you leave on the trip. And it's always small steps. So I start adjusting to exactly. the time zone. So it's one and a half hours per day, not more than that. That's the maximum. So if you go to Australia, you start five days before, one and a half hours. By the time you get to the last day, you're uh, seven and a half hours in. Um, and so I would get up at, what, one o'clock in the morning then on the last day or, or vice versa, whatever, but some crazy time of the day, waking up, putting the alarm at one o'clock. My wife would look at me and say, what the, are you completely nuts now? Like, have you lost your mind? <laughs> and I would, I would go running because free practice was happening a couple of hours after, after uh, waking up. So 4 a.m. or 3.30, 4 a.m., I would be out there in Monaco running and then take the flight and land. And then again, when you get, get there, one and a half hour steps. Don't completely straight away adjust to the time. So I did a whole season without any jet lag. Revolution for my life because I really struggle with falling asleep. No jet lag a whole year. I remember when you were at Williams, you were telling me that you completely missed an engineering briefing once because you slept straight through it or something like that. Is that true? I can't, I'm sure that's you said That's a Kimi Raikkonen story. That's <laughs> yeah, not, maybe. That's, not Marco, Nico, maybe. that's not a Nico story. <laughs> no, but just interesting, isn't it? That's, that's fascinating. And it, I mean, it's either that or you arrive at the last possible minute, isn't it? No, that doesn't work. Have you tried that? Yeah, that doesn't work at all. I mean, it works for some people. Yeah. Again, Kimi seems to make it work pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> but no, no. I mean, is there an argument that you were burnt out by the end of 2016? No, not at all. Not at all burnt out, no. Just because the intensity of the Formula One championship didn't burn you out? No, because burnout is, not a, is, is, a, is a, um, 
like being in a bad bad spot or something. Yeah, not at all. It was massively intense. Yes, but I was firing on all pistons by the time I got to to the last race, and that's how I was able to do uh, a great performance there as well on on that weekend. We'll get back to Nico in a moment, but first I want to tell you about a racing book that has just hit the shelves and it's very, very good. It's about Kimi Raikkonen, famously a man of few words. But in this authorised book, which is titled The Unknown Kimi Raikkonen, Kari Hotakainen reveals a side to the man that few people beyond his close family and friends have ever seen. The book goes behind the scenes as race strategies are planned, and it sees Kimi open up about his private life, something that he usually guards so carefully, and there are some great pictures to back that up as well. This is the first and last authorised book on F1 world champion Kimi Raikkonen. So don't miss out. It's out now and available to buy in Waterstones. Okay. Have you got that? Well, let's get back to Nico. Well, look, can we just talk a little bit more about Lewis? Because it seems that your career has sort of been defined by those battles with Lewis in the way that Prost's career has been defined by battles with Senna. Would you agree with that? I don't know. Of course, yeah, Lewis has a big role in, in my career. Yeah, that's clear. But defined, of, I, don't, I don't know. Not sure. Well, partly defined. I mean... Well, surely, yeah. Why did relations... Cool. Cool is a very neutral word. <laughs> I'm a bit benign. I mean, it was a bit further downwards fair. than cool. Well, but why did it cool so quickly? It's just because there's so much at stake. So much. Was it Spa 2014? Is it, was that no, the catalyst? No, that, no, 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 no. There was many steps. It prior to that or was it after that? that no, no, even prior to that. So yeah, like Bahrain 2014, that amazing battle between the two of you. I mean... One of the great races of the modern era. That was era. actually the start of it. That was the start of the problems. Because well, I thought after the race, you all you were hugging in part Ferme and everyone seemed quite relaxed. Wasn't yeah. that a great battle? But that was the start. Yeah. Because you thought, he thought, she yeah, thought. I can't that, say the reason. <laughs> That's going to come out in five to ten years. <laughs> not when you, the book. No, no, I don't know. Okay, so that's where it started. And then just what little things adding to it, whether it's... It's just, it, it, yeah, it's just one thing to the next, bigger, bigger, bigger. That's the way it went, yeah. Why is it so difficult? Because this actually smacks of Ocon and Gasly. They are, you know, two French guys who got on really well in karting. They were like brothers, mm -hmm. is how Pierre described it to me. And now they don't talk. What? Okay. But they weren't even teammates. No, not teammates, but just great mates yeah, yeah. At, in karting who now they've reached Formula One yep. just don't get on. And like, Why is it that you can't be friends and race in Formula One, it seems to be... There's so much more at stake. It's it's so much... Um, to win in F1 is so much bigger than to win in karting. Um, you have the world watching, the the financial interests in the whole sport. Yeah? Um, it's just so big, so big, so powerful. That's what makes it difficult. And all that comes before a friendship. Um, yeah, uh, not before, but all that influences and impacts a friendship strongly, yeah. Has your relationship with Lewis changed since you retired? No, it, it, will na it will naturally. It will naturally get better and better. I um, don't know how far we can get, but I'm very open and I always had a lot of respect. And, and um, yeah, I hope, I hope one day we can sit there and have a beer again and have a laugh. That would be nice. Well, let's talk about this year. Vettel in particular um, hasn't gone so well for him. Is there any advice you could give Vettel on how to beat Hamilton? I agree, it hasn't gone very well for him, no. <laughs> um, 
Well, it's it's all about consistency. Yeah, and that's he's done the opposite. It's been all over the place really in the last couple of months. And him and and the team both together. And so together that just makes it I mean, it's been so one sided since the summer. It's unbelievable. We all thought Vettel was I mean, I didn't, but it was seemingly gonna be Vettel who who'll take the championship and it's just gone completely one direction in total dominance since, yeah? And just as a result of mistakes. And that's, you're never going to beat Lewis like that because uh, Lewis doesn't make mistakes, <laughs> very few. Is it because he doesn't have the support network around him and that is the pressure, the whole Ferrari juggernaut, do you feel that's affecting Sebastian's driving? It's difficult to understand because you, you have to remember that he's a four-time world champion who's done incredible performances. So uh, I'm not really sure. To me, sometimes he... He wants too much in the moment always and can't think about the, the long game. Yeah, and, and is also a little bit too self-confident sometimes, which means that he doesn't accept when someone else has just in that moment maybe done a better job. And so you need to kind of accept to take a step back. Yeah, the other guy is better in this moment and I'll get him back again a little bit further down the road. Somehow there's a bit of that in there. But um, strange one, strange one. Um, I think, I mean, I'm sure he can do a lot better than he's done in the last couple of months because he is one of the best drivers out there, but he has not been showing that um, in recent months. Because it was an odd thing at Monza, wasn't it? He really needed Kimi's help in that race, yet Ferrari chose that moment to announce to Kimi that he was no longer being retained by the team. And therefore, weird. You'd question Before the weekend. Uh, yeah. So, weird. so, all right, weird. so you want me to help Sebastian this weekend and you're flicking me at the end of the year. That all yeah. doesn't stack up, doesn't it? I mean, it's just, it's, would you say that that is another of the mistakes that we're talking about, even if it wasn't an on-track mistake, it was an off-track mistake, wasn't it? Um, well, I don't know if you can call that a mistake because that's really just a bigger decision where all the fans will say, great, yeah, that they don't put these severe team orders in place, which were so criticized when Mercedes now recently did them. Therefore, I'm not sure you can say it's a mistake. Um, of course, in hindsight, Ferrari should have um, put all on one horse yeah, and started backing Sebastian much earlier, completely, entirely. But um, you know what I found really strange? Now we had recently Suzuka, Kimi fifth, Sebastian sixth. Was that the case? Fair enough. Yes, absolutely right. But why didn't they swap them? Why the hell didn't they swap? He's in a championship fight, needing every single point out there to somehow keep this thing alive. Why didn't they swap? That's a very good question. I mean, that, seriously, I was looking at that. What on earth is going on? Well, like, what is the reason? It's fifth and sixth place. Swap the damn cars around after all we've seen from Mercedes and give Sebastian the two, how many is it? Two it's points two, yeah. extra? Yeah. Two points. He needs those. Yeah. Like like crazy. That who, Who's going to explain that to me? Well, Sebastian was asked after the race and he just brushed it away. Saying he was, yeah? I didn't see it. Brushed it away, saying that Kimi was 40 seconds ahead at the pit stop. and So what? Well, stop him at the final corner until you come past, no, isn't that, it? I don't understand yeah. at all. Yeah. But that is maybe a little indication of a bigger problem, which is the one you were just talking about. Mm. And that maybe has unsettled Sebastian. He just doesn't understand why he doesn't get more um, support. So maybe, yes, I correct myself, and that could be a bit of an issue for him internally, but it's difficult to judge from outside. But look, what's it like for a driver on the on the, on the negative end of team orders? Because I remember, was it Monaco 16? Horrible. Monaco 16? Horrible. You're going head-to-head -head with Hamilton, and I could not believe my eyes when I saw you letting Lewis through. I was like... Crazy, huh? Yeah. I mean, talk us through that moment. 
well, there's no choice. If the team gives you, it's the important thing is for the team to clarify well beforehand. Yeah. And this is what Mercedes did before the season started. The playing rules for us were very, very clear. And this was a part of our championship fight were these game rules. And the game rules were that if in any race um, there's an opportunity for the other guy to get the win, then you must play the team game, let him pass, and so he has the chance to go for the win. So this is a clear, clear rule, which we, we knew we had, and therefore that made it a little bit simpler because you can plan it yeah and you know it's going to come and then there's no choice you just have to do it because you can't uh you can't go against what your racing family wants you to do and what your team is asking you to do it doesn't work especially in the beginning of a season and but it's so hard it's really really hard so bottas on the grid in russia i asked him the question can you win this grand prix and he said yes i will be allowed to win this grand prix Ouch. that's that's the painful part that's the one that's not so good Otherwise, it's all okay, I think, letting him pass and everything, but it's the not, not sticking to what was agreed beforehand. I don't know uh, if you're saying this now. I don't know the facts. Oh, no, that's what that's the Valtteri said one. that to me on the grid. Yeah. That's the very, very difficult one, and, and that, that's the most tough one. That's really tough. That's not good. So Monaco 16, did you feel at that moment that Toto slash Mercedes wanted Lewis to win this title more than you? No, no, not at all as I said, because those were the rules that we were given in the beginning of the season. So they were just absolutely sticking to the rules very, very clearly. And therefore that didn't make me think uh, in any way, no. Which was good for my championship because if you start thinking those thoughts, that's not good. Mm. What's your relationship with Toto like now? Very good. Uh, always been very, very thankful for his support from the get-go and for his being neutral as well in the fight between Lewis and I. That was very, very uh, important for us as a team as well. And so, no, no, very good. A huge respect for what he's doing, yeah, how he's come into the sport. And now he's, I mean, just dominating the thing. And a lot of it is thanks to him. He's the leader. Very, very impressive. Now, as a driver, you were very goal-focused. Marginal gains, we've discussed all that kind of thing. Do you feel in limbo now that you've retired? No, I don't feel limbo. I'm feeling good. But where, how are you replacing those? <laughs> how are you replacing those marginal gains and and the, the sort of constant self improvement that you were going through as a driver? You're you're not doing that now, or are you doing that? Oh now? yeah, yeah. I'll I'll do that forever. I'm always a fighter and a competitor in 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 me. But yeah. how does that manifest itself now that you're not a driver? Margin it's just in my new projects. It's uh, I have different challenges now which I'm taking on, and in in these next steps. And that's where I find I'm finding my competition and and my my will to win in in these next uh, next steps. Yeah. So how if I if I didn't know that you were, had been a racing driver, how would you introduce yourself to me now? As a what? As a what? <laughs> what? what? <laughs> it's kind um, of. Like, are you an yeah. investor? Are you a? Well, I'm I'm in a process still of doing several different projects. Yeah, I've, we've just. I've done a karting academy, yeah, where we just become world champion, which is something I'm really enjoying to work with the with the kids, giving back to my sport in that sense. Um, then taking on social media more and more, which I really enjoy. What's the end game with that? Um, with social media, well, with my podcast, for example, I hope. And actually, right after we're speaking now here. Um, I have another, I have uh, Matthew Sayed coming and we're going to be speaking on my podcast 
And the goal there is really the getting into the stuff which is closest to my heart, which is the whole mental game, mental performance, and seeking happiness in life because that's what I worked so hard on in my time in F1. Yeah, and I had Nico, a Nico, Nico. happy wife, happy life. Is that easy? <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead, sorry, I interrupted unnecessarily. But so so mental, the mental side, and and sharing that aspect with the world is that what you're trying to achieve through yeah the, yeah exactly through social media that's what i um well no this is just podcast yeah this that's really a, a fun topic for me because i worked with a psychologist as well for many many years then in f1 and especially in the last year uh very very intensely like we do two hour sessions every second day like huge efforts how and would that help you uh learning about myself learning to how to approach life learning how to cope with emotions that come because you can't switch off emotions when they come but if you understand them why are they there you can um, react much better and much more appropriately and that has a huge snowball effect when inside the car or outside everywhere everywhere except in the last four laps in Abu Dhabi where nothing helped <laughs> it's just <laughs> complete out of control situation <laughs> I tried all my meditation tricks nothing worked it was intense wasn't it yeah but but the social media thing um are you going to try and monetize it or is no it? that's not the goal the goal is the goal is really to engage um everybody that's been supporting me and who's there already on social media and and really um it's the the challenge in the end is to create fun stuff and engaging stuff and that's a cool challenge which i'm enjoying yeah getting into and um but then going beyond social media also there's the whole investing side which has been really enjoyable um and it's all into like impact technologies so technologies that are really going to make a difference like for example formula e where i've uh, where i've invested and formula e is what what's going on no no keep going yeah what's one lesson i need to teach you don't drink sparkling water when you're doing podcasting <laughs> yeah because the, the burping can can sound not so good so dear listener tom just put the microphone like miles away from him because a uh, bit of a moment there thank you for <laughs> enlightening the listeners like yeah. that but but so you think it's uh, we're going electric and that's where you're investing i mean i know you've been to silicon valley haven't you yep how did you find that fascinating just the the risk that they take over there is incredible they just go all out they don't they don't care so much about failure they plan failure because failure is part of it and it's important on your way to having great success this is uh, why silicon valley remained the epicenter of new technology why has it remained like that for what is it 30 years now probably I mean, a lot of it is just the money that's available okay. even pension funds allocate some money to such high risk startups big big money and this is different to europe for example yeah so it's just the amount of cash that's available over there the amount of intelligent people because you have the best universities in the world there all the great companies there the best companies in the world so it's sort of gone from strength to strength and it's just the the epicenter now and anyways yeah e-mobility and everything is going to change our world and it's really my my home mobility and it's a great opportunity to be involved there in some fascinating companies i also invested in lilium which is a What, drone sorry? a man carrying drone company and out of germany and this is not 10 years time in two years time we will be able to all of us jump on this thing quite cheaply and do a transfer from the airport to city most likely like dubai or singapore this is amazing it's rocket man type thing no 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 drone now you jump in it's like a helicopter but it's a drone yeah. but you're not controlling it who's controlling no it? i think it might be um that you need to control it initially and then a couple of years later it will be autonomous i'm not exactly sure where they are with that okay so it's all future technologies um 
why couldn't you have done any of this when you're in your 40s? Why the urgency to do it now? No, there is no, there was no urgency. I had no plan. I, I, I stopped. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. I just knew that I wanted to spend more time with my family. That was very, very Have you important. managed to do that? Because it seems to me you're flying all over the world and you're as busy as you were when you were racing. No, no, um, no. Uh, clearly, I'm spending quite a lot more time with my family. And it's also the flexibility that I have now because I can make sure that on birthdays, I'm always there. On the first day of school, I'm there. And that never used to be the case. And this is the thing that also has a huge value now in this next step in life, this flexibility, freedom, different kind of freedom. Um, that's a very, very nice feeling. And we see you in the Formula One paddock as a pundit for Sky. And is it weird being back in that capacity and not driving? I quite like it because it's my environment, the Formula One world, and it's nice to be back in that sense. And I've been having so many nice comments as well, uh, maybe also from you that's listening, um, because I have such a unique um, ability to give insights because yeah, I was just there. And I was just in that fight, even with the guys who are now fighting for the championship. So I can really judge them so well. And that's been nice that I, I really have the feeling I can add a lot of value there. So it's it's cool and it's doesn't take too much of an effort, yeah. And I, I enjoy it, and yeah. I'll always be a fan of our sport. That's the most important thing, and therefore I just I like watching the races myself. I'm always there at home watching the races. It's just fun. How long do you reckon it would take you to get back up to speed if Toto rang you and said, "Please, just this weekend, do it for the team," and you went, "Okay, just this once." No, that wouldn't work physically already. It wouldn't work. I drove the Formula E car recently in Berlin and my, my forearms were knackered after four, four laps because <laughs> I hold the steering wheel so tight and it's just not used to it anymore. So physically it would really not be possible and the F1 cars now are so fast. It would take me a lot of training to, to get back up. And then speed wise, I think probably on one lap I could get there pretty quickly, but it's just the like last a day's testing. Yeah. I, I, I have no idea. That's a scary thought, actually, because yeah? I've never been away from top driving level in my life. I've always been like really, really good at driving ever since I'm nine years old. So scary thought that, that maybe at some point I'm just not going to be honest. There's a little bit of you. It's a little bit of you not intrigued just to see whether you could do. It. I remember Jackie Stewart in the '70s did a piece for a TV company where he drove lots of different cars. He drove the Lotus, a Williams, a various other things I think he drove a Benetton and he just and apparently he was straight on it really Jackie five years after he retired six seven eight years after he really? retired yeah was straight wow. back on it wow awesome wouldn't that be a nice TV package that you could do but sure one day uh, we can do me against you <laughs> <laughs> me against you yeah right you want to win <laughs> um, okay but so you know, there isn't a tiny bit of you that's intrigued to see what these new slightly wider Formula 1 cars are like I, I just find it amazing that you've been able to just switch it off as quickly as you were able to do just comes with fulfillment because i really managed to accept in my head that this is the perfect way to for my career to come to an end and that's been very fortunate i've been very lucky to have that and um but yeah if total calls and say hey uh, you want to have half a day um i'll think about it um you would think about it yeah yeah i'll think about it because it would be awesome fun of course to experience those cars they're so damn fast but it's not something that I, I need to go there now and, and hope that it will happen or something. No, because it's really, I've really, really moved on. Yeah. And you don't think, you wouldn't be worried that it would reopen something in your no, mind? No, 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 no. 
no, no, that's uh, Vivian that's would make sure that that wouldn't. That's past, yeah. For those of you following the current F1 season, you'll know there was a thrilling race in Austin last weekend at the US Grand Prix. There was drama from start to finish. And after all the excitement, many of us need the chance to switch off and block out all distractions so that we can focus on the tasks that need our full attention. I know I do. And that's why I keep my Bose QuietComfort 35.2 wireless headphones close at hand and rely on the world-class noise-cancelling technology that Bose is renowned for to help me block out noise and immerse myself in whatever it is I need to do, even if it's just to make that quick phone call home. The latest generation of these headphones gives you direct access to both Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant, providing simple voice control when on the go. So... You can take your music anywhere, watch a movie, listen to a podcast like this, or make that call wherever you are in the world. Plus, they're really comfortable. And that's a very important part of achieving the autonomy you need to absorb yourself in any task and give you the chance to fully utilize the 20 hours of battery life that they offer. And with a premium headband and plush ear cushions, you won't even realize that you're wearing them. So don't forget, Christmas is creeping up on us all. And why not see if a pair of QuietComfort 35.2 wireless headphones is just the right gift to treat someone you love? Or better still, why not treat yourself? Just go to Bose.com for more information and check out the superb functionality of the QC35.2s and see how they can fit in with your lifestyle. Remember, noise off, focus on. Quick word on being father-son world champions. I remember your dad, I think, watched the Abu Dhabi race in 16 from Dubai. Is that right? And then he came over after the race? Um, yeah, because he was supposed to come. And then suddenly he realized, hmm, maybe that's not such a good idea. So he called me and he said, hey, do you think actually it makes sense that I'm coming to that last race? Although I've never come to any other races. I'm like, no, that does not make sense. You're going to walk in the paddock and it's going to create total chaos. <laughs> of course, all the journalists will exactly. want to talk to him about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then he realized, and we all agreed that it was better that he would not come. So he stayed in Dubai, which was nearby, and um, yeah, and then and then came sometime after the race. Did that achievement of winning the world championship, like him, bring you closer together? Did it? It was that shared experience. Um, closer? No, it was just a lovely memory and a lovely moment to share with my my mom, my dad, my 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 wife was there. Everybody was there. All my best friends were there. They surprised me. Crazy. Unbelievable. So, no, it's just uh, lovely, lovely moments and very, very lucky to experience that. And that's it. Okay, so two Rosbergs have won the world title. You've got two lovely girls. What chance? No, no, I really hope not. I'd be so scared. <laughs> Isn't that why? I'm quite a scared dad and that would <laughs> yes. not be good. That would be horrible. Are you being serious? I would even be scared of her going ho horse riding, to be honest. So, which is also not so, I mean, mm. it is a bit dangerous. So, so no. you're not going to encourage that at all? No. Okay. What's being a dad taught you? Being a dad has taught me, um, well, I do think about the longer term a little bit more also financially because I really want to make sure that my kids um, can live the same kind of life we're having now uh, forever. And that's that's a, a challenge to set that up in the right way for them. Then, and sort of not allow them to make any mistakes in that sense, financially. Um, and then, what else? It's taught me... Nico, I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you there. Surely, 11 years in Formula One, financially sorted. 
No, but I'm saying for them for their whole life. Fine. And their children and their children and their children. No, it's not that easy. It's not that easy. No, no, no. Um, because of the lifestyle that we have, yeah, which, which is expensive. And I do want to try and allow them to keep that kind of lifestyle. So it's not that simple. And I never want, like my, my mantra is never touch the capital that you have. You need to put, position it well so it generates income every year yeah, in the safest possible manner. Because so that's how you can ensure for generations and generations that they can all benefit from what's been built, what I have now built up or what my dad has built up. That's the, that's the way to do it. And that's not easy. And that's the way I think now since I have children. And the other thing is um, empathy for kids in general. It's so big now. I, w I did some charity work the other day and oh, it's so hard to see then when other, other children are not so well off. Never used to have that so much, but now so powerful it's it's crazy very very uh, very strong feelings that that is yeah how difficult is it to keep the girls i know they're very small at the moment but to keep them grounded living in somewhere like monaco yeah i don't know i don't know if it's more difficult there than other places it really depends on the what kind of what kind of group of kids you get involved with as well in school you've got to be lucky a bit and and I like to think I'm quite a good example of someone who did manage to not completely lose his head whilst growing up in Monaco. So I think it's okay, and um, so that should be fine, yeah. But is there um, a pressure to achieve if you live in Monaco? Mm, probably, yes, because um, most kids have successful parents there, and so they're sort of also from the parents very much expected to have success and so that could be the case that so there's a bit more pressure but also there, there I think I've learned so much now in my in my time working on all these I've studied a lot of philosophy as well and there I think I will be able to approach it very well as a father even now I'm trying to not just I'm trying to reward attitude rather than result because it's so wrong that everything we do in life is is just goes by result yeah And so someone who just has less natural talent will, won't be able to get the result, even though he's been putting so much more passion into it, tried so much harder than the guy who had the talent. And yet it's just the guy who has the talent who then gets rewarded by the whole world with applause. Yeah? And so even this now with my, with my daughter, I'm trying to, I'm always thinking about that. And if she hits the ball properly, applaud. And if she doesn't, I also applaud because I know that she tried her hardest and put the most effort she can into it when, when she does it, yeah? So it's sort of those things that I'm really thinking about as well. How did that sound? Make sense, no? It makes sense. But what, what happens... Do, huh? <laughs> well, no, but I mean, you're speaking to... I'm a parent as well, and yeah. I completely concur with what you've just said. But what happens if one of them gets a place at somewhere like Imperial College London to read um, aeronautical engineering mm. and doesn't take it up? <laughs> yeah, so the reason again, you're laughing is that because that's exactly what you did. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. So, what will you say if they oh, do? I that? don't know. It's, it's going to be hard moments, but I again believe in let them get on with their lives. Yeah. So, help them. Well, give. I don't know. Uh, give them wings, but then let yeah. them fly themselves. Yeah. I don't know if you say it that way, and I believe in that. I will really try to implement that as much as possible. I know it's so damn hard to let go as parents. It's like one of our biggest missions in life. And there's going to be so many challenges coming, even then with boyfriends and things like that coming around. My goodness, if there's a boyfriend that you don't like, whoa, that is going to be so hard. 
And I can start to understand my parents now more and more on so many issues as well, as we all do. Yeah, so there's a fun times ahead. How far are you with your kids? Uh, my youngest is nine. My oldest is 13. And they still listen to what and dad the, says? Or? Yeah, on the whole. Yeah, good. On so you've the done whole. a good job then. Well, I mean, give it time. <laughs> you know, when they become middle teens, late teens. What about you You going back to school? I mean, was there a little bit of you that's tempted to go and take that place to read aeronautical engineering at Imperial College London, for example? Why not? Yeah, there was a bit of me that was tempted, but it's the problem is I learned so much in F1 that I think I'm ready to use that in the in the business world as well. And I don't need to really go to the from the beginning and start from scratch with learning something like Imperial College would be. It's just too 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 much effort and set you back too far. That's my feeling. So I don't think I'm gonna, ever going to do that. I'm interested to hear you say that you learned so much in Formula One because as a driver, does Formula One prepare you for what I call the real world? I mean, let's not face it, you got, paid, you got paid a huge amount of money to do something that you loved and probably would have done for free. <laughs> <laughs> and did do for free for much of you know, your junior career. So is that great preparation for, for life afterwards? Yes and no. You see a lot of sportsmen in general struggling so much afterwards. But um, I think that's different reasons. That, that's more the, the whole finding a new purpose in life, which is so difficult because the purpose, even though it's a bit artificial, but it seems so powerful when you're uh, top of the sports. Yeah, and you have your, the whole world looking at you and um, it, it just seemed the purpose is so damn strong and then suddenly it's gone and you need to find a new one and that's, I think, uh, a, a difficulty that a lot of people then face and, and myself as well. Um, so how did you come to terms with that? Again, what helped me most is this fulfillment feeling that I had from the, from the past, yeah, because I really could close that chapter. And then I'm, I'm fortunate that I already had so many different interests as well already. Yeah, so the whole investing um, came really naturally to me and I really enjoy it and I really like to put effort into that, build a whole network and, and find great deals and all this. Then um, different, I mean, the whole racing side of it, which is still involved now, I, I enjoy doing the TV work. Yeah, I enjoy the, the academy side. Um, so there's different things that I, that I, and, and f oh, most importantly, family as well. Yeah. Which I must not forget. That's the most important base and has been so given me so much, this continuity of my family and just the luckiest person in the world to have the family the way I have. And does it help that Vivian, wife Vivian knew you before you were famous? Yeah, I'm sure it does. Yeah. Because unfortunately your fame and money will always play a role in, in the way you be, are attractive to somebody else. You, you can't switch that part off, yeah? But it's a difficult one. So I'm very lucky there that we met when we were 18 years old and I was just nobody, <laughs> just going to school still. No, no, after my school event. And she, I picked her up from school with her little mini. I used to pick her up from school. And yeah, so that that's very lucky as well. And that's also a big strength in why I became world champion. It's that strong base that I had, the strong foundation it massively helped me to to have that balance in life and and better life better performance but it's it's a crazy ride yeah for a relationship because like if you think where i was and where she was when we were 18 years old and then going through all these different steps in life and huge steps yeah university moving in together suddenly we have our own money 
and then suddenly you have lots of own money and we can even go for holiday i mean do some crazy stuff and then um have our own house kids kids biggest step of them all of course as you know as probably dear listener if you also have kids you know <laughs> you know what what i'm speaking about that's gigantic bigger than anything else before does um, it mean a lot to you that you shared that whole journey together yeah of course of course and i'm we're we're, we're lucky to have found each other because it just um it always feels so right and it doesn't matter if i'm gone a lot if i'm there a lot it's always great in any kind of situation now with the kids always uh, it's just yeah awesome and she's not you know <laughs> i think a lot of people in formula 1 find that suddenly they stop formula 1 and you're around at home a lot more and suddenly the wife's saying to you oh my god <laughs> gosh having you around the whole time is uh, doing my head in you know yeah, no. no that didn't happen yeah that's why yeah it's just it's just cool <laughs> it works in any kind of circumstance we, well, we do have our difficulties, of course, yeah, especially with the kids now. It's not all just um, beautiful and wonderful. That's completely normal, but overall it's really amazing. So look, where are you going to be five years, ten years? Five years first. It's, it's um, greener technologies, which I love, where mobility plays a huge role, yeah? So this is where um, I want to try and continue my building uh, my legacy or whatever I leave behind then on Earth, yeah? And the first step was really awesome with racing, now the second step, I want to have more of an impact. The first one was also impactful in some ways, but the second one, even more in this uh, space of greener technologies. So you want to be remembered more for what's coming up than what you've already done. Well, that's that's so damn hard to. to am, I, am I putting I words into to. your mouth? If, or is uh, that? No, no. If if possible, yeah, great. I would love to. That would that's the goal. Yeah, but that's 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 a very very difficult one to achieve because F one is just so big. I mean, if you want to be involved in green technologies and and make the world a better place to live are you interested in politics politics is gonna it plays a role in that but it's not something i'm really passionate about but it's it's something that's important because there's a lot of regulation which needs to be looked at with all these different new forms of technologies coming in now to speed up the whole process yeah politics play a huge role massive in fact i was yesterday in in berlin speaking to someone who is working with the politicians in germany and really um, speaking to him about certain events that they were building up to to really create actions and concrete actions and not just talk, talk, talk. Yeah, and so this is... Um, so you want to influence politicians but not be a politician? No, in influence. I want to be a part of, of, of speeding up the whole process. Yeah, and Germany, me being German, I have some very good connections there, so I've been quite involved now in different ways. And uh, But no, politician, no, that's not for me. And have you taken up any new hobbies, sports that you weren't allowed to do when you were driving because contractually it was too dangerous or paragliding, no. horse riding? Nothing. No? No, nothing new. I, I want to learn the guitar. That's my next thing. You could have done that when you were racing. I did. And I got tendonitis. I couldn't upshift anymore because, <laughs> of course, I exaggerated. <laughs> Are you being serious? Yeah. So I, I couldn't upshift in the middle of the season. I think it was 2015. So that was the end of my guitar career. Are you, have, you, have you got a good voice? Can you sing with it? No, or? that's if you asked me what was the talent you would love to have, one of those ones would be the voice. I would love to be a singer. I think that's just so cool. But you haven't got it? No. So you're not about to break into song. This could be... No. That's why this guitar could be the sort of uh, backup plan to okay. get on that rock star stage. <laughs> Okay. Well, look, Nico, it's it's been great to speak to you, and 
I think coming into this conversation, I wanted to find out, having known you for so long, you know, is this real, this new world that you're you're in? Or is, is there a tiny bit of you that's actually missing it because you could still be at the top of your game as a driver? And What's the conclusion? The conclusion, dear listener, yeah, I think it's 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 all it's true. That's very, yeah, you know, you're very convincing. Oof, I got I got a really good. Well, I just idea. you know because part of me is you know as someone who, as I say, saw pretty much every single seater race that you ever did. Mm. Um, I certainly felt in 2016 it was too early. I thought you can go and invest. You can invest while you're driving. You can do all these new things. 40s, 50s. You're going to be a long time retired, and um, you know, but uh, you've done it. And you seem genuinely content and motivated and it's great to see. So good on you. Thank you very much. And dear listener, um, please, where can they give you the thumbs up for your great interviews? In the ratings? In the <laughs> Hit the ratings. Come on. Hit give, the ratings. To give listen. Thomas the thumbs up for some <laughs> awesome interviews that he's doing. Um, and hey, on, YouTube, to to on YouTube, it's comment. Uh, yes, all of the above. But there you go. Nico, thank you. Great to speak to you. Thank great you very to much. See you. Thank you. Should we go and have a beer? Alcohol free, yes. Heineken. No shit. Am I allowed to say that? Okay. Of course, you're the one too. <laughs> awesome. Let's go for Heineken. Always on messages, Nico, even when he's going to the pub. <laughs> it was great to have a good natter with him, though, because it had been a while. And he came across as very relaxed and honest about a whole heap of topics. Although I don't think he'll necessarily be on Ferrari's Christmas card list this year. And how about those marginal gains that helped him win the title in 2016? That's what you call dedication to your job. Good luck with everything that comes next, Nico, and thanks for your time. Well, that's it for now, but of course we'll be back next week with another F1 superstar. In the meantime, if you haven't already, please subscribe to Beyond the Grid. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And please keep getting in touch. We love your feedback. And to Mark Lofthouse, who's trucking in Canada, it's great to hear that Beyond the Grid helps you on your travels. You can drop me a line using the hashtag F1BeyondTheGrid, and you can tweet me at TomClarksonF1. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audioboom. Until next time, keep it flat out. <laughs>